we started off last week just talking about how prayer is an act of worship, where it really does connect us with the Lord. And I asked you to write out some personal prayer requests about your life. And a lot of you did. I have a stack of them like this. And I have gone into my prayer closet, and I am praying for you during these 40 days. It is amazing to me, as I've gone through that, folks, you can see some of the things that we are struggling with. Some of the struggles are external. Many of them are internal. And those struggles appear to be things that you've been struggling with maybe for a while. When you and I go through seasons of problems, and I don't care what the problem might be, it may be social, it may be relational, it may be financial, whatever, it is good to connect to God. The nation of Israel did this. They had gone through a season of problems because they had forgotten the Lord. So God throws them some hope out. He sends a preacher named Azariah who tells them this. 2 Chronicles 15, listen, all you people. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel had been without the true God and without God's law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord and sought him, and he was found by him. Folks, I love that last phrase. It gives me hope that if I turn to the Lord, if I seek after God, God, here, I'm seeking after you, and what is your answers to these things that I am distressed over? God says, he'll be found. You see, that is my prayer. That is my prayer for me. That is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for our church. Folks, I want God to rock our church through prayer. That is my prayer for the city that we live in, that the, for the nation, for our nation, is that we will seek the Lord and that he will reveal himself to us so that our distress can go away. Truly the first antidote for a healthy, whole, happy life is for you and I to be connected to God. It is our disconnect that creates the problems that we have in our life. So the very first step is that we got to connect with God. And the easiest way to do that, honestly, is through conversation with him. It's through prayer. It's through talking to him. The best known prayer in the world, bar none, is the Lord's Prayer. And it's the best, and it's the best prayer because Jesus prayed it. Hey, folks, if Jesus prayed it, it must be good. If it was good enough for him, guess what? It's good enough for me, right? And I know that if I pray Jesus's prayer, God is going to answer it. And this is the best prayer because in that prayer, you and I will discover seven aspects of the character of God that meet seven fundamental needs that we have. Over the next seven weeks, folks, we're gonna take a look. We're gonna take this prayer apart week after week after week. Because when you and I understand the Lord's Prayer and we begin to pray that prayer and we begin to live it, then you and I are gonna see changes in our life. The very first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, Sarah introduced to us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
I call this the prayer of connection. Uh, This part of the prayer actually helps us with our insecurities that we have grown up with, primarily from our families and people that we were raised with, okay? The second phrase of the prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done. I call that the prayer of letting go. This is God's cure for the confusion that comes into your life when life slaps you up against the head, okay? It really does help us to understand that God has a plan. The next phrase is, give us this day our daily bread. I call this the prayer of resources or the prayer of need. This is where we begin to discover that all the resources, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, are all grounded in God. When you and I truly understand that all of our resources come from him and that he is a giver, he loves to give, you know what that's gonna do to your worry quotient? Down like this. The next phrase of the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our sins. This is, the prayer, this is what I call the prayer of giving it up, okay? Giving up our flops, failures, and fumbles to God. As we understand that God, that God is not only the God of all resources, but folks, he's the God of all grace. Because of his grace, I can give him all my flops, failures, and fumbles in life. And you know what that does for me? It clears my conscience. The next phrase, which oftentimes goes with that phrase, is as we forgive those who uh, sin against us. This too is grounded in the grace of God. When you and I understand God's grace towards us, it helps us to be gracious towards others, especially those who have hurt us. I call this the prayer of God's healing in our life so that we can move on in life and not be held back through resentment and bitterness, okay? Then it's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I call this the prayer of protection, where we discover that our God is a mighty fortress, that he can protect our minds, our hearts, our emotions, and our behavior, our actions. When you and I understand this aspect of the Lord's prayer, it will help you to be an overcomer in life. My very favorite phrase of the Lord's Prayer, though, is the last one. A lot of times it's got, it gets skipped over, okay? It's kind of like the 10-4, good buddy, over and out, like that. We don't give much thought to it, okay? But it's the phrase, for, your ki- for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When you and I understand those three words, kingdom, power, and glory, okay? When you and I understand those three words, we will understand God's plan, God's program, and God's purpose for our life, for our future on this side of eternity as well as in the future to come. Now this morning, we're gonna take a look at the first phrase. And what has happened here is that his disciples, Jesus' disciples had seen him pray. Jesus was a prayer warrior, okay? No wonder he saw all kinds of miracles, okay? No wonder he created a movement that's lasted 2,000 and I don't know, 17 years or whatever, and it's still growing. It was because he was a person of prayer. And it so intrigued the disciples that they came to Jesus and said, hey, will you teach us how to pray? Because, man, we like what we're seeing right now, okay? And he says, okay, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, we're not gonna focus on 
the hallowed be your name. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, okay? I want us to focus in on our Father in heaven. When Jesus told his disciples, when they began to talk to God, to address God as their Father, what he was doing is that he was exploding the stereotypes that people had about God. People back then didn't think of God as a Father. They thought of him as a creator. They thought of him as almighty, but not as a Father. And it's understandable because in the Old Testament, only seven times in the Old Testament is God referred to as a father. And so Jesus is starting off his ministry and he's laying down a fundamental. Folks, there isn't much more fundamental in having a relationship with someone than talking, okay? So he's laying down the groundwork for his disciples. And in essence, he's saying, I want you to address him as father. And they saw this in his life over 150 times in the New Testament. God is referred to as father. And so he's exploding the stereotypes of God being a tyrant, of God being a killjoy, of God being some impersonal force. And so will you write this down? God is a person just like you are. He is a person and not a power. The reason that you have personhood is because you have been made in the image of God. And with that image, he has created you with the ability to be intimate and to be close with him. God is not a power out there. He is a father and not a force. Now, folks, this is good news because I can't personally relate to some cosmic cloud that is out there. But I can relate to a person. Now, the only problem with this word, father, is that it oftentimes carries a lot of baggage with it. A lot of times when people hear the word father, they think, you know what? If God is like my earthly father, no thank you, God. And we've heard this phrase, have we not, that paints this kind of feeling that we have? Maybe your mother said this. You just wait until your, what? Father comes home. Woo. You see, there are some human fathers that can make a home into hell. No doubt about it. But when we say our father in heaven, folks, those imageries of past authority figures in our life get in the way of truly understanding what our heavenly father is all about. Let me give you an example. If you grew up with an unreasonable father, you have a tendency to think that all of God's demands are unmeetable. If you grew up with an unreliable father, you're gonna have a hard time trusting God. And to be honest with you, your worry quotient is gonna be huge. If you grew up with an unconcerned father, a distant father, you're gonna think that, that God isn't really interested in you. You're gonna believe in God. Oh yeah, I believe that this is God, but you know what? He's got bigger things, uh, so to speak, bigger fish to fry than the things that are going on in my life. And you're gonna think that he's gonna think that way about you. If you grew up with an unpleasable father, you're gonna think that every time you do something, it's never enough. You're gonna think that when God looks at your life, he's mad at you. There's always something. There's, oh, I'm just not doing good here. In fact, 
you will have the tendency to be a perfectionistic and to be work-oriented in your relationship with God. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, but Pastor George, why are you saying all these things? It is because in America, we now have 25% of white kids, 50% of Hispanic kids, and almost 75% of black kids growing up in homes without a father. Is there any wonder why we don't understand the phrase, our father who art in heaven? Kids today are not connected to their dads. And so what I'm going to try to do in building this relationship as we start down the road of the Lord's Prayer is to get rid of some of the misconceptions, some of the myths that you have about God. Because when you really get to know God, I'm gonna tell you this, you're gonna fall more in love with him. And folks, that's what this year is about. Loving God, first third of the year, second third of the year, loving others. That's how we know that we love God. Our families, our primary relationship, people at work, people we rub shoulders with on the soccer fields of life. And then the last third, loving our community. So what is God really like? Four characteristics about fatherhood. The first one is this, he is a caring father. You see, God loves you more than you will ever know, that you and I will ever understand. He, 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 beyond our comprehension, folks, our brains aren't big enough to fathom the depth, the width, the height, the breadth of the love that God has for us. Never, nevertheless, just because we can't understand it completely with our minds, because we only have, as my grandma used to say to me, George, you only have little peepers about who God really is, okay? I'll never forget my grandma telling me that. Though we can't understand it completely, it doesn't mean that God is not love. In fact, that is the primary quality of God in the Bible. God is love. It doesn't say that he has love, that he possesses love. No, he is love. And everything that God has ever created, he did so out of love. That's why you hear me all the time. I love the science channel in me, do the universe, that God created the universe so as to create our solar system, so as to create our planet, so, our, so he could create you because he loves you. Folks, you wouldn't exist if God did not want to love you. Truly, his compassion is his most outstanding quality. Our father is a caring father. Take a look at Psalms 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Jesus and his disciples where they get into a boat and a storm comes. Now remember these disciples, these guys that Jesus hung out with, most of them were fishermen. And so they were used to storms, okay? They were used to fishing in the rain, okay? And when it was sleeting. But this storm is different. This is a category nine storm, okay? It is freaking them out so much so that they frantically wake Jesus up. And they wake Jesus up and they ask the most important question in regards to life. 
Before I tell you what that question is, I want you to write this down first. If Jesus is in your boat, it won't sink. If Jesus is in your boat, it's not going to sink, folks. Guaranteed. Some of the things that you wrote on those cards that as I've been going through, it would be easy to think, you know what? <laughs> I'll do a crapshoot here. <laughs> Hopefully Pastor George's prayers will come through. I, I don't think this is going to work, okay? Whatever we're going through, whatever you may go through, understand this, that you need to get Jesus in your boat. Because wherever he is at, I can guarantee you this, that boat is going to float. And so get Jesus in your marriage. How do you do that? I really hope that couples in this church, and we will get there when we get to the couple thing, okay? Loving others. But I really hope that prayer spontaneously happens amongst couples. Some of you are scared to death to pray with your spouse. Get over it. Okay? You talk to them all the time. Just bow your head and say, God, I want to talk to you about my wife. Okay? God, she's a beautiful woman. Don't say anything negative about her. <laughs> Just talk to him. Get Jesus in your boat, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids. Start praying with your kids. Get married. Get, your, get Jesus in your boat with your vocation. You ought to be finding Christians at the corporate place and say, hey, let's just come together just for a few minutes and let's just pray for our boss and for work, for, for corporate America. What, because whatever you get Jesus in your boat, I'm going to guarantee you this, it's going to float. Now, the question that is posed by his disciples is this, don't you care? That's the question. It's the most important question in life. Don't you care, God? And we ask that question of God in thousands of different ways. God, did you see that doctor's report? Don't you care? God, do you see that my kids aren't doing well in school? In fact, they're being bullied. Don't you care? God, do you see that my car broke down and the dishwasher isn't working and, the, and, the, and the, the wash machine is on the blink and we have no money in reserve? Don't you care? God, do you see how I'm fearful of the future in the way of my retirement? Don't you care? You see, the answer to that question is this. Yes, he cares. He cares and he is aware. And so what do we do? Well, Peter gives us the answer. In 1 Pete 5, verse 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Will you circle the word cast? That word would be better interpreted as drop. Because when it comes to casting, we think of maybe a little lure, something that isn't heavy, okay, or burdensome. I'm gonna tell you, some of the things that you have written on those prayer cards are burdensome. They're like a boulder, okay? And a lot of times we think it's just light. We just kind of can throw it out there, you know, no effort at all, so to speak. Let me ask you this. How much energy does it take to drop something versus cast something? Zero. All you have to do is relax and it falls. Now, I want you to listen to me very closely because this is a key to getting answers to prayer. If you want to learn how much God really loves you, you have to learn to relax in your time of prayer. As long as you are uptight, 
about your marriage, about your kids, about your family, about your work, whatever it is, you're not relaxing. And if you're not relaxing, you're not gonna know that you have a father who is a caring, loving father. God would say to you, whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes, or 30 minutes, which we have as plans for you, he'd say this, let it go. Drop it. Just relax and know that I'm God. Now, what do we drop? Circle the word all. In the Greek, all means all, all the time. Okay? Does that mean God cares about my house payment? Yes. About my car payment? Yes. About the fact that my kids need braces? Yes. About uh, my dating life? Yes. About the fact that you don't have a dating life? Yes. He cares about that too, okay? Folks, he cares about every single issue, concern in your life. Everything. He's into the details. He knows your thoughts from afar. He knows the words that you're going to speak before you speak. them. He knows the number of hair that you have on your head, and he knows the original color too, okay? That is why he says this in Matthew 6, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows, will you circle that, you need these things. How many fathers do we have here? Can I just see your hands? Just raise them up there, okay? Raise those hands up. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you want your kids to worry about what they're gonna eat tomorrow? I don't think so. Do you want, you want your kids to worry about what they're going to wear tomorrow? Some of you are concerned about what they are wearing. That's a different issue, okay? But at least they're wearing clothes, so to speak, okay? No, you don't worry about those things. Why? Because caring dads care. They care about meeting needs. On my list, if you come into my office, the top thing that you will see as a leader of this church is to provide for God's people. Caring dads care about meeting needs. Even though I am an imperfect father, guess what? I care for the needs that my kids have. I take my kids out about once every three weeks for dinner. I was out last week with one of them. And during that conversation that we were together for about an hour, hour and a half, he brought up and says, Dad, I just want to share some things so that you're aware of them so that you can pray for, for me. And I said, okay, shoot, fire away. And he says, I want you to pray for my truck. I want you to pray for my health because he's got some moles that don't look good or whatever. And, um, and, and I want you to pray for my family that I be the right kind of father for raising two girls in this world that we live in. Folks, I care for that. Ever since my son shared that with every day, when I get pull out my thing, I get to F for family, and I'm praying family. Okay, God, Matthew, I, he gave me some specifics, and I pray. Because caring dads care for their needs. And God says, if you who are imperfect care for the needs of your kids, how much more will your perfect father in heaven care for them? God is constantly concerned about your needs and my needs. Now, here's my point. Whenever you begin to doubt the love of God, you know what goes off inside of you? It's a signal, and it's called worry. When you begin to worry, it is an indicator that you are doubting the love of God. And folks, anytime you and I begin to doubt the love of God, that he is really after our good, oftentimes we will do the wrong thing. 
I think God's holding out on me on this relationship. I'm just going to do it anyway. Whoa, see how that works out for you. And so worry should be a warning light that we have forgotten or that we need to remember the love of God. And some of you are real worriers. Don't look at them right now. Just give them an elbow like this, okay? I've had worriers come, Pastor George, I just worry all the time. I guess I don't love God much. I said, no, that's not your issue. The issue isn't that you loving God. The issue is you don't know how much God loves you. If you really knew how much God loves you and you felt it in the center of your being that he is a caring, compassionate, constant, loving God, guess what? Your worry quotient would go down. The second characteristic of fatherhood is this, a consistent father. Now, this is really important when you live in a changing world. The Bible says that he is consistent, that he is dependable, that, that he will never let you down, that he can be counted on, that he is worthy of your trust. Take a look at James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father, who does not change like shifting shadows. Will you circle the phrase, does not change? We have an unchanging, consistent father. On the other hand, we humans are unpredictable, aren't we? My office is by the student uh, building, okay? The student part of our building over there. And I have different students pop in occasionally. In fact, I'm mentoring a couple of them, okay? And um, they would often tell me, you know what, I, I can never... I can never guess what my, where my dad's going to be at from one moment to the next. I don't know whether he's going to hug me or slug me. I don't know whether he's going to be silent one day as I come through the door or whether he's going to be violent with me. I don't know whether he's going to reject me or accept me. Pastor George, I just never know. But here's the thing about our heavenly father. He's not moody. He never has a bad hair day like you and I do, okay? He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. There's one thing that you and I can count on, and that is this, that he will always act the same towards you regardless of your performance. And some of us struggle with that. Take a look at this verse in 2 Timothy 2, 13. Even if we are faithless, stop right there. I, you know, I know I've been faithless this week. There's things I'm sure I should have done or have done and not even aware of it, okay? Sins of omission, okay? I've been faithless. There's some things that I have been, uh, it's sins of commission, I know, okay? I would ask you the same thing. You'd probably say, did you read as much of the Bible as you wanted to? Did you even read the Bible? No. Did you talk to God as much as you wanted to talk? No. Did you treat that other person the way you would have wanted to be treated? No. Paul says, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. God is faithful because it says he will not disown himself. He's an unchanging God. He's not up one day and down the next with you. His love is unconditional. It's constant. Now, we know that we live in a changing world, do we not? I mean, things are changing at a pace that you and I can't even get our minds around it. Alvin Toffler who wrote the book Future Shock this number of years ago, said this, in times of great change culturally, what we need are islands of stability. 
We need something that we can hold on to that we know that absolutely will not change. There's only one problem with that thought, and that is nothing on planet Earth lasts. Nothing. Your no relationship lasts. None of them do. One day, two people will go into a hospital and only one will come home. That is sad, but that is true. Wealth doesn't last. The economy doesn't last. Jobs don't last. Folks, the United States will not be here forever. Past performance is future indications. No country, no empire is still around today that existed, I don't know, 2,000 thousand years ago. There's only one thing that's going to last that will never change, and that is a consistent, caring love of your heavenly Father. So if you want to make it through the things that you put on those, those prayer cards, is that you better have, you better be anchored in Christ, because everything else is going to change. You're going to change, your spouse is going to change, everything is going to change. Only one thing isn't. God is not going to change. And any of the promises that he's given you. And that is amazing, is it not? That God can say something in his word that he wrote 2,000 years ago that is timeless because it is built on the character of God who never changes. If he says it, that's the way it's gonna be. That when you find that promise for your marriage, for your life, for your kids, for your finances, God isn't going to change. Okay, I'm going to work. You're seeking me. I'm going to work. This is amazing, especially as you study world religions. You see, with man-made religions, their false gods are fickle. They are moody. You, you have to appease them. You have to get, find a virgin somewhere and throw her in the volcano, okay? And she's consumed, right? But our God is the true God. He is not like that. And so when God says something, folks, you can take it to the bank. He doesn't change his mind about it. Now, I bring this up because one of the greatest things that kids struggle with today, you know what the, the number one cause of resentment is in kids today? You understand what it is? breaking of promises. I told you several months ago, I think it was the, uh, not Easter, I'm working on that message, Christmas message, um, that I came in to my grandchildren, uh, Layla and Aislinn. As soon as I walked in the door, they said, Grandpa, Grandpa, when are you going to take us to Disney World? You promised. Kids remember, they got sharp minds. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, we've booked it. I came over last week and I showed them pictures. It's done. Grandma and Grandpa are taking you to, uh, to, to Disney World. Of course, the next one. When are we going? Can we go tomorrow? No, no. We're going to go in the fall. Okay, gets a little cooler. As I was walking out the door, Layla, Andrew was there, the whole group of them there, but Layla looked at me and says, Grandpa, I want to tell you something. I said, what is that, Layla? Thank you for keeping your promise. God 
keeps his promises, folks. Take a look at this verse, Psalms 59, 10. My God is changeless in his love for me. There is a third character quality of fatherhood, and it is this. When Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to address God as our father, what kind of father was he praying to? Third one, a close father. He's close. He's not distant. He's not a gazillion million miles away. He is close as your heartbeat. Take a look at Acts 17, verse 27. God did this so that people would reach out for him and find him since he is not far from each of us. You see, God is with you and I right now. He's not a gazillion million miles away. I shared with you last week that when I had surgery, because of previous procedures that I had that didn't work, I was scared to death. I called up Cheryl about 6.30 in the morning. Cheryl, can you get here as fast as they can? I think they're gonna pull the plug, and I am scared. And she wasn't able to make it. And sure enough, as I was talking, nurse came in. Okay, we're pulling it, George. We're gonna see if everything's working. And after they did, my whole right side of my body was shaking like this. I couldn't control it. And you know what I did? I yelled at God. God, where are you at? Are you down the hallway? I'm scared right now. Did I do that? No, I didn't. I didn't yell. I didn't have to. I, sh- I shared a heart cry, a whisper. God, I'm scared. Show me. Why, was it a, why would a whisper do? Because God is that close. Some of you have whisper prayers as you walk in your family. God is close. He's not distant. You don't have to yell at God to get his attention as if he is several galaxies away. Now, I bring this up because today in our culture, there is an epidemic of of absentee fathers. Since 1970, they've done studies because of two two parents working, two incomes to make ends meet. The stress in the family has increased because mom and dad aren't there. In fact, today, families spend 22 hours less than they did 40, 40, uh, 40 years ago. Today, the average parents spend less than 35 minutes with their kids per day. Because of that, if we grew up with that, we are in the mode of doing things. Why? To get our parents' attention. If I do this, maybe they'll notice me, okay? Maybe they'll, they'll show up. And we do that with God. Some of you are gonna be here next Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. God, look at me, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm here, God. God, look at me, I put money into the offering basket. God, look at me. I read my Bible. God, look at me. I signed up for the prayer thing. I'm gonna get one of those tokens and have it in my pocket like Pastor John. God, look at me. You see, I wanna relieve a burden for you in regards to this. I wanna share with you three things about God's closeness so that you and I can walk 
and grace and be relaxed. The first one is this, that God is never too busy for you. Folks, that's how close he is. That's the kind of love he asks. He's never too busy. Take a look at Psalms 145. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. Every time you call upon him, folks, it can be a whisper prayer, and he'll be right there. He isn't going to say, doggone it, it's her again. Gee whiz. Gee whiz, he's always bothering me. Will you just take a number and get in line? You're the millionth person I'll get to. No, God's not that way. Secondly, God loves to meet your needs. And I want you to circle loves. He doesn't have to. He wants to. Just like a parent wants to meet the needs of his kids, God loves, he delights in giving. Take a look at Matthew 7, 11. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. I've been trying to stop that myself. I, I, maybe you've noticed this about you. you know, something comes up, well, I have to do this. No, no, you and I get to choose to do it. I, I, I don't have to go to the hospital. I, I, I love to go to the hospital and visit people that are in, uh, from our church that are there. I love to go to meetings and be with people who are strategizing to make a difference for the kingdom. I love to come. I don't, I don't go to church because I have to. I love to. I, that's God's mentality. And then the third thing about his closeness is that he is sympathetic to your hurts. God's close enough to care. And some of us need this next verse. Take a look at Psalms 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, maybe your heart is broken. I would want you to know this, God cares. And he is close, close enough to put some salve on your heart to bring healing to it. And he's close enough to where you can call out to him and say, Father, will you help me right now? In fact, he would want you to even be less formal than that. The word father in the Middle Eastern language is Abba. Abba, Abba, meaning daddy, daddy. When my kids come to me and are wanting something, they don't come and say, oh, most high reverend pastor dad. He who is benevolent in giving cash. We beseech thee that you would give us our allowance today. No, you know what my kids do? Hey, Dad, I need some money. I need some money, Dad. I want to go to the movies with my friends. God wants that kind of relationship with you. He wants you to be that way with him. And so when as I've been just preparing my own heart and just praying. I've just been pulling this thing out. Okay, Dad. Dad, here are the things that are on my heart that concern me. Work, Dad. Be the kind of father that you are to me. There's a fourth thing, and this one is important. He is a competent father. This quality really is important because nothing is beyond his ability. Nothing is too little and nothing is too big. A lot of times we think, you know what? I don't want to bother God with these little things. I'm just going to wait for the big things to come in life. You ever heard yourself kind of think that or even say that? Will you write this down? Because I want to destroy this myth. 
it's all small to God. There's no such thing as a big thing. And to be honest with you, they're all small. It's all small to God. We have a competent father. And I bring this out because truly today we live in in a nation where there is an epidemic of incompetent fathers. And folks, you can see it on TV. Family Guy with Peter, Homer with the Simpsons, Tim, the tool guy. Everybody loves Raymond, Raymond, Doug of King of Queens. Every dad that, the, that culture portrays is a joke. And why not? Because there are a lot of them out there that are jokes. I would say this, dads, let's rally together. Let's be men of prayer that pray for our kids because I don't believe you're a joke. Nobody, no father should be a joke. Reminds me of a joke though, where one kid comes up to another kid and says, my dad can beat up your dad. And he says, that's nothing, my mom can beat up my dad. (laughs) Folks, can I say this? Nobody can beat up your heavenly father. Luke says, nothing is impossible with God. God can do it all. So whatever you're struggling with, whatever you put on that card, I want you to know I'm praying for you, but you need to pray. You need to get that ring and you need to make your symbols and you need to pray and you need to understand this verse in Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, our hopes. God says, you think of the biggest thing that you can think of and I'll top it, okay? Let me ask you a very pointed question. What are you doubting that God can do in your life these next 40 days? This is impossible for God. This is too hard for God. Nothing is gonna change. When you have that kind of self-talk, you need to listen and have one ear up to heaven for a snicker because yesterday's impossibilities are today's miracles. And I am asking God to move in our church. I am praying, God, we're gonna seek your face. And we're gonna ask you, God, to move. To take our stony hearts that are doubting, that are filled with disbelief, that are filled with despair and discouragement. And God, we are gonna ask you to turn them into hearts of flesh that we might respond to you, that we might fall more in love with you, that we might understand what kind of God you really are to us so that our hearts can grow even larger because this is the year of love and it starts with you and I talking to God. So church, let's do that. Let's go to him now. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I just praise you that you are a good, good father. 
that though my mind cannot comprehend who you are, in, in one sense, God, I'm glad. <laughs> because if I could figure you out, I'd put you in a little box and put you aside. But you are bigger than my mind. But I thank you for the peepers that you have given me to get a glimpse that you are a father, that you are a caring father, that you are a consistent father, that you are a, a, a competent father, that nothing is impossible for you. God, I wanna pray for our church. God, I pray that we would go deeper with you, that we wouldn't just check the box, oh, another series, but that we would go deep we would talk with you, that we would truly, I don't know, whether it's a prayer ring or a prayer list, God, I don't care, but that we would take it, that we would talk to you, that we would go wider, God, that we would link our arms around some others, that we as a church would come together, that we would begin to put our arms together and say, God, we're asking you to move. You said wherever two are gathered, there you are, that you'll do it. And I believe that, God. God, help us to grow close because this isn't just about me and it isn't just about us. It's about our community. And we need to be walking the walk and we need to be talking the talk. And it needs to be seen. And so God, do a deep work, a wide work, do a close work in us as a church family. We look to you to do these things and we look forward to what you're gonna do, God this year of love. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.